A topic that has come up in my sessions quite a lot within coaching as well as around friends and even something I have spent a lot of my lifetime pondering is our relationship with death and how interesting it is that we are the only creatures on earth that are aware of our own mortality. And simultaneously, it is knowing without a doubt that we will die that allows us to truly live and take chances, whether it be as small as telling the person that we like, that we like them, or going after building a business and making an investment, or um, moving across the country, traveling, breaking free from expectations that are put on us, knowing that we're going to die certainly helps us to do these things and motivates us. That's why oftentimes we ask the question, what would what would you do if you only had six months to live? And that's a way you really wake up to knowing that life is brief. Life is short. And it's also, on the other side of the coin, an awareness of death that can often paralyze people and shock them and keep them in that paralysis, (laughs) excuse me, from analysis. And this can happen for people who have really big hearts and want to love well and have such a strong fear of death that it keeps them from doing all the things that they want to do because what if they die doing it? Or what if someone else they love dies while they're away? I can't move away from my family because what if something happens to my dad? Or I can't leave the partner who is being emotionally abusive because, well, he's sick, you know? And our relationship with death is something that I think can be incredibly exquisite and beautiful and it can be a portal and a gateway to living deeper and living more fully and living with more humor and laughter and joy and really no one knows this quite as best as our guest today on the podcast her name is Jordana Jacobs and She lives here in New York City. I had the honor and privilege to go to her apartment to record this podcast, and it was really just a delightful environment to be in to have this conversation, and I think you're going to feel that from listening to us talk. So here's a little bit about Jordana. Dr. Jordana Jacobs is a clinical psychologist in private practice in New York City. Her approach is integrative, combining psychodynamic and existential therapy into her treatment of patients. Dr. Jacobs' training from memorial catering working with terminally ill cancer patients, her studies in North India, and her Vipassana meditation practice inspired her her research on the complex relationship between death awareness and love. Her dissertation, entitled Till Death Do Us Part, The Effect of Mortality Salience on Satisfaction in Long-Term Romantic Relationships, specifically explored the ways in which priming for death has the potential to increase intimacy and partnerships. In addition to seeing patients, Dr. Jacobs now gives talks and leads meditations aimed towards helping people accept inevitable mortality so that they are able to live and love more fully. I talk about this on the podcast, but I read this book recently called On Life After Death, And wherever you are right now, given, let's say, that you're not driving, just go head on over to your Amazon app and put that in your cart. 
on life after death. Amazing short read on what happens when we die. Super powerful and it was really healing for me to read that. And today we're going to get a lot of beautiful insight into mortality and love. Um, I'm so excited for you to hear Dr. Jordana Jacobs' story on how she met her love. It's quite adorable. And she just has a lot of beautiful wisdom into how we can begin to heal our intimacy wounds by remembering we're all going to die. Yeah, powerful stuff. I myself, you know, I'm going to take a little bit of a break of the podcast before we jump back in, but I myself have gone through this tremendous, I would say, past two weeks of feeling like a phoenix, just major phoenix energy of, I'm feeling as my Saturn return is approaching that a, a particular identity, an identity that I cannot put a finger on, feels like it's dying, something within me. Um, I wouldn't say innocence, but there's a part of me, the part of me that gives my power over to others when I'm looking for insight or advice or puts those who are older than me or men or above me in some hierarchy of business putting their opinions first that part of me is dying I feel I feel that part of me dying and this is funny we're talking about death day on the podcast and I'm very aware to a particular flavor of my innocence shedding And I've worked with the archetype of Joan of Arc this year. I memorized a monologue that she gave to help me embody her ferocity, her challenges, her devotion, just this Joan of Arc energy of I will lead. This is my purpose is to lead and to take ownership of the pitfalls and trials and tribulations that will come with being a leader. And I will stand up for what I believe, what I believe in, even to a room of a hundred people telling me what to do with my body and my life. I will stand up to that. I'm getting pumped even as I say this. This year I have been embodying this archetype uh, of Joan of Arc. And I feel, even without sitting with Jonah Ark and meditating on her, I feel her becoming one with me. I feel her presence very fully. And there's a part of me, this people-pleasing part of me, this, oh, you're a, you know, you're a 45-year-old man who owns your business and you're knowledgeable and you lead people well, so I should follow you. Um, and I know that sounds maybe like I'm talking about one of my teachers. I'm not. I'm just talking in general. This, this, There's this air that I think a lot of women who are raised around my age and and ages in their 30s and 40s, I'm sure, and and younger than me, of being submissive, especially if you're raised in a conservative household of listen to the the man of the house, your job is to do this, you're going to do this. And while I've worked on really stepping into being an authoritative, powerful, feminine being over the past five years, there's still this subconscious knock 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 like someone is telling you what to do you should listen to them or they know better or um, if you're not listening to someone else's advice and insight then you're not being humble there's a part of me that's been stepping into this space I think over the past few years of realizing no that's not true there are times when my ego might get in the way and I might be resistant to hearing someone else's feedback and someone else seeing what I can't see myself. But there are other times that my heart and my body really truly know what is best for me. 
And I have the right to say no. I have the right to say yes. I have the right to put my thoughts and ideas into the universe, the ether, my own business, and to trust myself and walk boldly and proudly. And I know I'm going on a monologue here, but I'm just wanting this thought and this truly embodied belief to touch you that there is some beauty in releasing and surrendering like that's the name of the game of feminine the feminine right is to release and surrender and to allow the masculine in life not the masculine in the man but the masculine in life to guide you but then there are also moments where you must know my love your masculine is the strongest masculine in the room your masculine is the masculine that needs to rise and to lead. It's needed in your class, in your household. Your wisdom is divine. And you combine your masculine leadership with your feminine flow and embodiment and pleasure. Holy fuck. Powerful. Whether you're 19 or you're 25 or you're 35, trust that voice within you that says, I will lead. And I know how to lead. And in the moments you are feeling like you are ready to follow, trust to follow, and knowing that you are not giving up your power when you follow and you surrender and you take someone else's lead. In fact, you are still leading in a sense. You are leading your own body into that path. You are still guiding your, your, your choices by deciding to surrender to another's masculine. So I just want to drop that in today monologue over let that sit and just marinate in your body a couple announcements before we go into the show uh, as you know the embodied archetype retreat is a retreat i am holding in new york city november 15th to 17th where we will be going into archetypes just like i've gone into joan of arc everyone that is coming to this retreat you will be going into a specific archetype either to do your own solo archetype or you'll be partnered with someone that we will partner you with me and my co- host of the retreat, Jamie Woolrab. He was on the podcast. Go listen to the episode if you missed it. It's going to be a very special event where you are going to be embodying an archetype of a shadow, a part of you that you've been neglecting through your voice, through your physical body, your emotions. You're going to go into some darker places, but also some very light places. So if you're interested in joining us, you can go to maddiemooncom forward slash events to fill out that application and I will get back to you and we'll take it from there. The Feminine Spirit School is my eight-week course that goes all into the feminine, masculine shadow work, um, healing ancestral wounds, speaking with empowerment. So if you resonate with everything I just said about speaking with empowerment, there's a whole module about that, cleaning up your language and speaking in a way that lands with power in someone else's body and nervous system. And this course is for someone who wants to do a lot of the studying and assignments and research. Um, it's not an in-person event. It is an online course. It's eight weeks, but it does include two Zoom calls that will be on Sundays. So I put them on Sundays so that hopefully most people can attend them. And so this is like my mid-tier level. And then I have my one-on-one -on -one coaching. So podcast is like the free level. Then I've got a couple Amazon books that really don't have anything to do with what I do anymore, but they are still available. They're more about body and body image and my past in bodybuilding. If you're interested in that, those are on my website. And then I've got the feminine spirit school and the embodied archetype. And then I've got my one-on-one -on -one coaching. If you're ready to do incredibly deep work consistently in an intimate container with me, myself and I. 
So those are available to you, or you can just chillax and enjoy the podcast and come back every Wednesday to listen in. Let's just do the thing. Let's go hear about death and love and relationships and intimacy. I hope you love this as much as I do. Um, I shouldn't drink this while we're oh, doing this, right? Um, That's fine. If I don't have to. I think if it's quiet, you'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, if it's quiet. Okay. I mean, you, yeah, it's got a straw, so that makes it a little bit simpler. Okay. Oh, thank you for welcoming me, yeah. welcoming me into your home. Of course. Thanks for coming all the way here. Yeah, this is one of the most, I mean, this is the most beautiful apartment I've been <laughs> to. And, yeah. If y'all could see this, it's just this stunning white, crisp, clean greenery everywhere, um, open, big windows, like type of space. And it's just really like, it's really needed in, in, um, in your home life to feel something like a sanctuary living here. That means a lot to me. Yeah. Um, I've, I've worked hard to create a space that I feel like I can come home to uh, after being out in this bustling city it's almost like I I was trying to create like a country house feel yeah in the city yeah that's what that's a that's a really good like description for it that's what it feels like so today we're going to be talking about what is it death yes relationships mm-hmm. and dating yeah all the really like ooh, super juicy topics I think they're all related too most people don't ooh. put them all together yeah so my friend had actually told me about you and I don't know how we got started speaking on it, but she knows I'm really quite fascinated by death. And it's been something that is negatively controlled a lot of my life, Mm. like super negatively. And I think one of the peaks of it was around when I left Christianity, because when I left Christianity and I became more spiritual and finding a different path, then I came face to face with severing my belief to there is a a hell or there is a heaven Mm -hmm. and that was part of my process and journey of separating myself from that because for as long as I believed in that I still felt fairly hooked into religion Mm -hmm. like it was um if you truly uh are not Christian and you still believe in it then you also have to like believe that you're going to hell and I didn't want to walk around in my life thinking this that's not serving me the hook would always stay there so I really needed to slow down and dive deep into my relationship with the afterlife and what I think happens in the afterlife and what I want to think happens in the afterlife that's also part of it like daydreaming around um, the possibilities of it and over the past four years I've had a lot of like like pulsations of my heart feeling like open and excited about possibilities of different lives that we live as you know consciousness as as creatures on this planet um and then there's like the uh, subconscious voices of my family and their very very embedded beliefs around what happens when we die Mm. so 
with all of that said, whenever I was, I, I heard about you, I was really fascinated to just slow down and talk about, talk about death and talk about, um, how that can actually bring us closer as human beings to our time here on earth. And then also like, what do you think happens when we die? <laughs> I, just, I, had to, I have to ask that question. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your story and just what led you to, to be doing this really impactful work. Sure. Sure. Um, well, first and foremost, I just want to say like Christianity is so smart. They really hook you there. It's like, if you don't believe you're going to hell, that's terrifying. Yeah. That's a, really good hook yeah I mean as you're saying it I'm like oh good lord yeah <laughs> and like, I'm a Jew <laughs> <laughs> I like I remember I have memories of being um even like the uh what is it called um when when you're taken uh there's like the thing in Christianity that everyone will be taken who's Christian oh um, right um, they'll rise the, up the I forgot. Well, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like I, I know in my body the what this is. Not the apocalypse. Not the end of days. Like. Yes, yeah. Th- when everyone is taken. And I remember being a child and being so, so afraid and sad that that would happen when I was young. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, no, like I hope I'm, I'm like, I'm like a f- probably a five-year-old. And I'm like, I hope I'm, a, I'm like considered saved enough because what if my family gets taken and Terrifying. I'm left? Well, so scary. So scary. Um, the rapture. The rapture. Yeah. Yes. I'm like thinking of the show, The Leftovers. Yeah. I was thinking yeah. of like, there's a mo- Left Behind is the movie. Yeah. yeah I Cameron. mean, these are something terrifying. Um, I don't want to say myths, but narratives that we tell um, in our society in our culture, around the world, to, I think, personally, I think, to give us some sense of certainty around what happens next, because the uncertainty is often more painful and more terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost easier to say, like, either this or this happens, either you go to heaven or hell, Mm. and this is how you get to heaven, this is what what you do if you were going to hell, Um, and we see it over and over again in, in our psychological makeup that the unknown and the uncertain often causes exponentially more anxiety than mm. creating certainty, even if that certainty is really scary. This, how terrifying hell is, is still uh, preferable yeah. to not knowing mm. anything mm. for most people on an unconscious level. At least. So tell us a bit about what it is that you do, because I've got I've got some questions then around that, but I don't want to skip over this really important. Yes, piece and I it. also totally um, sidetracked us and didn't tell you why I got into this work. Or well, that's pro- that's my fault because I'm like blah, 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 <laughs> rapture, all these different things. Yeah. Um, so I'm a clinical psychologist. Um, I study the relationship between love and death. Mm. I got into this, I'd say, for two reasons. Um, One is that my great aunt survived the Holocaust because she, and she was was Jewish, she was in hiding in Poland um, with false papers. So she was working out in the world. She was just Catholic and quote unquote Catholic um, and living and working in Poland. And she met and fell madly in love with a German officer. Mm. And about two years into their... (laughs) (laughs) Story time. Yes. About two years into their relationship, 
she decided that she wanted him to know the truth about her and that she didn't want to she needed to be seen and loved for who she really was and so she revealed to him that she was in fact Jewish and the story goes that he panicked uh, he said that he had to go think about what he was going to do and he left for three hours so for three hours my great aunt didn't know if she was going to live she was going to die if he was going to return with the nazis oh i just got goosebumps yeah um there's a she wrote a great book about it um oh. called i dared to live um so it yeah it's a, it's a really beautiful story um because he did eventually come back and he said um according to her book I love you, I love you more than my life, and I'll do everything I can to protect you. Uh, and she said, it's not enough to protect me, you have to protect my younger sister, who is my maternal grandmother, um, and you have to protect other Jews from being sent to the death camps. That's right. Oh my <laughs> God. So inspired yeah, AF. She's, she was an incredible woman like um, I would imagine I'd be in this moment of like please take me like you know like love me don't turn me in blah 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 but she's like yes and now you have to do like that's exactly. amazing oh, very wow. powerful and he ended up saving um I believe it was 20 something lives uh oh. by giving them false papers and the holocaust memorial in Israel planted a tree in his honor which I was able to see last year for the first time so um really powerful and I grew up hearing this story over and over again, my my great aunt and my and my grandmother were the only surviving members of their family. Um, they had all been taken before my great aunt met Rolf Peschel, who's the German who saved her. And um, so I grew up hearing endless stories about that, and you know, without sounding too cliche, but about how love can quite literally save you from mm. death. Um, fast forward to. Many years later, I'm uh, getting my PhD in clinical psychology. I'm working on figuring out what I want to do my dissertation on. And I was in the throes of just horrible heartbreak, such horrible heartbreak. I actually just got a text from um, the person that oh. I had been with today. And Whoa. it's amazing to feel like we can be on such good terms yeah. uh, now, but you know, when I was 26, I'm now 32, I just was devastated. And I had actually ended it with him, but I had, I was still so in love with him. It just didn't feel like a good fit. Um, we wanted very different things in life, but I loved him very much and I couldn't move through it. I just was in tremendous grief. And I, I realized that the only comforting thought and this sounds really morbid, but I think it explains why I do this work. The only comforting thought I could muster was that I was going to lose him eventually, that he was going to die or I was going to die. And, and knowing that helped me let him go. Mm. I was going to have to let him go no matter what, even if I was with him m the rest of my life. Eventually that would end. And the sadness and the anger and the frustration and the just, you know, all of those painful grief-related emotions um, sort of cracked and gave way to this compassionate love that I was able to then feel for him again. Mm. 
So <laughs> I was like, wow, there's so much to this relationship between love and, and death uh, and sought to investigate it in terms of the psychological research. Wow, that is like, I mean, I, I get it. It's so interesting how death can actually be so comforting and even old age can be comforting. Mm -hmm. This is very different, but along a similar thread, when I was in my past going through um, like eating disorders and body image woes, mm -hmm. the most comforting thought to me when I was healing is that, well, I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose any ounce of like looking good or like even touching perfection. Any of that is going to be gone someday. So I might as well like work on it now. Mm -hmm. And that was really healing for me is remembering that beauty does, does fade. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's similar and even knowing that I was going to die one day was incredibly impactful for my my healing journey and to like okay th I'm gonna die this is the only body I have in this lifetime mm -hmm. so I might as well like use it to see the world and to eat good things and to hear beautiful music and mm -hmm. to watch play like there's just so much that life is constantly trying to bring to you and death is an anchor in a way like anchoring us and remembering that our time here is brief right so and it's something we can't control mm -hmm. eating disorders are largely about control mm -hmm. and perfection and death is about really surrender and lack of control mm. and something that is inevitable so it's i could see in certain ways how thinking about death could be the antidote mm -hmm. to that specific issue but so many of the issues that we have in life are related to our desire to control and to manage um and perfection and death is like is the greatest human quote-unquote like imperfection i wouldn't mm -hmm. call it that but i think a lot of people feel that way mm -hmm. um and it's not something we can really do very much about mm -hmm. it's inevitable so do you help people who are in relationship um how do you how do you tie in people who are in not going through breakups but mm -hmm. in relationship uh deep in their love through knowing that their partner and they are going to die yeah one day? so uh, that's really the question yeah. right um that i was seeking to understand um so esther perel i don't know if you're familiar with oh him, yeah but almost everybody is so how great. lucky are we to all be familiar with yeah. her work um but she you know, it, her iconic phrase is fire needs air. Uh, mm. Do you know that phrase? No, but I, I mean, she has, I guess she fire has and air so, she has so many iconic phrases. So it's not the iconic phrase, but she has, she does say fire needs air, which um, is suggestive of the fact that in order for passion to thrive in long-term partnership, we have to remember that we do not always have the person that we could lose them at any time. Mm. Um, and she talks about that in relation a little bit more to divorce and separation, um, which we sort of forget about when we're in a long-term relationship. We're often like, well, we have this person, you know, um, and we become complacent sometimes and ungrateful. We don't remember to do the work. Um, and so I take that phrase, fire needs air, and I say like, okay, well, how do we operationalize air? What is the ultimate air? And I think the ultimate air is recognizing that we're, we're all going to die mm -hmm. and that your partner's going to die, you're going to die. You not only may lose them, but you will lose them. Mm. And I think in long-term partnerships, no matter where you are, whether it's 
you know, a year and a half, which is right at the cusp of the end of the idealization phase of a partnership where the passion starts to shift and change and it starts to take work. Um, or if you're at five years or if you're at 30 years, remembering that you don't always have that person, uh, but rather that they're on lease. Mm -hmm. Esther oh, says, yeah. Esther says, remember that they're on lease. And I just take that um, as a foundation and, and take it one step further and say, we're all on lease. We all have a lease on life. Mm -hmm. um, there's also a, a Buddhist parable that I think sums up what I'm trying to say in a way that's pretty clear if this isn't that clear. Um, but, you know, it, it's a parable about real pl flowers versus plastic flowers. Mm -hmm. Have you heard this? Mm -mm. So, you know, you can have real flowers and plastic flowers, and they can look actually almost identical, um, especially if you're not that close. And we are so drawn to the real flowers over the plastic flowers. Um, and it's not just, I think, because of, like, how they smell, but I think there is something about their brevity and their fragility and the fact that they will die and wilt mm. that makes them so much more beautiful yeah it makes us appreciate them captivates I, oh us God. it makes me like it makes me very emotional when I think about it in this term mm -hmm. um yeah doing doing the work that I've been doing the past couple of years around um see like if I could summarize it I try to see something beautiful in in the tragic of life mm -hmm. and vice versa like what is what is so tragic like this is a small example but I have this friend who writes plays and you create this really impactful piece you pour your life and your heart into it and anyone can think about this with any goal and then you create a family with it right all the actors are like family and you just go really deep together and you you do the first night and it's all thrilling and the second night and third night fourth night let's say you go like 10 nights and then it's the final one you're all crying you're wrapping it up and it's like so heart breaking and opening and tragic that this beautiful thing will no longer cease to exist mm -hmm. and that's what makes it um so divine and so heart opening it's like we can love this for what it was and then let exactly. it go and it's this same thing like with a lot of breakups too that end in in harmony um it c it could be the ones that don't end in harmony it just takes more work to get there and to see it that way mm -hmm. but i had i had my most recent breakup which was a while ago now felt like that it was like let's honor and find this relationship so beautiful but like it was some of the deepest pain too because mm -hmm. I didn't have those like fuck you to like cling on to because those help us like not feel that deeper layer of the tragic anger. beauty the anger and does. anger mm -hmm. yeah the anger tef definitely it's like satiating enough so that you don't go to those mm -hmm. and it's really the deeper levels of, of what we're talking about here of vulnerability like and vulnerability pain. and honoring that you're mm -hmm. going to lose whatever's whatever's important to you at some point absolutely and i think the way you said i think the way you said is you as we're sort of letting go we begin to accept what is mm -hmm. right we're not trying to change it anymore um again it's that lack of control and that acceptance for it as it was, as it is, and gratitude. Mm. Um, and the hope is that we can see both ourselves as those flowers and our loved ones as those flowers. 
uh, and begin to really just accept and love them for who they are. Mm. Uh, this brought up something for me. So I do this this thing I really w- would like to shake. I'm curious about your thoughts on mm-hmm. it. Every time I say bye to my family, I like immediately go into this super tense, like, what if this is the last time? Mm-hmm. Like every time, I every time I say bye mm-hmm. to, but like we're leaving from lunch, bye. And then my body is like, what if they get into a car crash? Mm-hmm. Like what about, and then the next thought underneath that is like, stop, you're going to manifest it. Blah, blah, blah. So it's just like this <laughs> whole mess that I'm trying to like, let go, let uh-huh. go, let go, let go. And yeah, it's hard to just tell yourself to let go of that. Totally. I don't know what I need in order to actually just like s- stop it. Just mm-hmm. s- stop it. Well, the more you try to stop it, the more it will come. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so never mind about that. So what I would say, you know, that's sort of like a um, classic yeah. Buddhist thought, right? If you mm-hmm. try to push it out, if you reject it, if you, if you view it with aversion, anything that we view with aversion we try to push away or anything we cling to um, is a form of attachment. And right? I, and I, I logically know this and yet, yet, right. This so thought makes me so mad. Of course. That it's of hard course. to accept so, it. So first thing is don't push it away when it comes mm. up. Instead, welcome it in. Mm. Be like, oh, hi there, thought. Mm-hmm. I knew you'd come as soon as I was <laughs> saying bye to right my family. Right on time. Yeah, right on time. Here you are. And what I tell people that have, tremendous fear of death and loss is that is to use it Mm. instead of trying to get rid of it welcome it in and say I am so lucky to have these thoughts about inevitable loss Mm. and can and then begin if you can to use it to love more deeply Mm. rather than fear yeah so can you you know say it to maybe even Mm -hmm. push yourself to say it before you visit your parents Mm -hmm. and say this could be the last time it's true it could be we have no idea and I actually think that people that think about it even in fear are better off than the people that don't think about it at all at least when you're thinking about it in fear you're aware and then there's an opportunity to shift the needle from fear to love there's this beautiful quote um, from this spiritual leader, Bobby Klein. Do you know him? No. You should listen to yeah, his okay. uh, I Ching interpretations. He does them every Sunday. I'll send you an email. Yeah. It's great. But he says this thing that really resonated with me. He says, fear and love can't live in the same house. Mm. Um, and I think about that a lot when it comes to thinking about death. I think if we can replace the fear with an abundance of love, then when we think about death, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be so scary. Mm -hmm. So we can be worried about losing our family. And when we show up to them, you know, be like, oh my God, this could be the last time. If that's the case, then love them fully. Start to be already in that place of acceptance of, I accept you for who you are. I could lose you. You know, that place people get to at the end of the play Mm -hmm. Uh, why do we have to wait until the end of the play to get there Mm. let's start getting there before right um there frank ostaseski who is uh the founder of the zen hospice project uh i talk about this a lot in when i present on this but he says there are only two questions that matter at the end of life and they're am i loved and did i love 
Mm. That's all that matters. Like we're on our deathbed and all that matters is love. So can we, when we think about death, move to that place, move to that place of, okay, am I loved and did I love? And then when you go see your parents, just have those questions resonating. Do I feel love coming from them? Can I love them? Yeah. And immediately, actually, the research shows this, that love is our greatest defense against our death anxiety. Psychologically, love and attachment and affiliation, specifically romantic love, is a phenomenal defense against (laughs) death anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, So the research suggests that that is very soothing to us. What's interesting is I think the opposite is also true. Not only is love a great defense against our death anxiety, but I think thinking about death also helps protect and defend mm. love. Yeah. In that the same that that's the flower idea. Right? That in remembering that the flower is going to die, we love it more. And so it, both sides of the coin are oh, true. On a macro level, I remember having an experience with my family of one day they will die and let's just put an end to like all this stupid bickering. Mm-hmm. I really, I remember that serving me a lot at one point and um, me and my dad butt heads in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. just because we're so different in how we s- view the world. And an, on, a, on a big like macro blanket, I had that thought and I remember that did so much healing for me and helped me in going home and just remembering we only have a brief amount of time so I do that practice before now that I'm really thinking about it but afterwards I don't Mm -hmm. and so that is it's the same exact thing that applies and I I I feel it in my body what you're saying that love having the fear of death not the fear having the um, acceptance of death and remembering death will invite us and evoke in us more love Mm -hmm. it's so so true with my dog, right? I know I only have my dog for however long his life is. I know. And I freaking, like, love that dog. Just, <laughs> like, sh- like recently I've been like, I need to buy you some burgers. I need to buy, like, I need to buy more treats for you because one day I'm not going to have you. And I'm, I never really buy him, like, exquisite treats. And I'm like, I need to just, like, like adorn you with, with mm-hmm. doggy things mm-hmm. because I just love him so much. And it's it's just that's how it is. That's how it is. And, and I'm not in partnership and I know that it's much har- harder in partnership to yeah. go to that place. Well, it's interesting you bring up a dog. One, because they have a shorter lifespan. Mm-hmm. But two, because the love for an animal is often a very uncomplicated love. Mm-hmm. It's just like pure yeah. love. Uh, my dad, who's a psychiatrist, has always said, there's no such thing as unconditional love except for with puppies and babies. Uh, <laughs> I bet that I don't have a baby, but I bet that's so true. But I yeah. know with, with doggies. Yeah. 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 So there's yeah. I wonder if because of the unconditional mm. love you have for your dog, you are you feel safer to think mm. about his death. Yeah. And I have no expectations of him mm-hmm. besides like. No. And you're not trying ones. to change him. Yeah. You just love him. Yeah. For who he is. Yeah. So I- interestingly, the more unconditionally we love, the more we open to love, mm-hmm. the safer we feel opening to death. I mean, I know it's scary to think about your dog dying, um, but it's probably different than thinking about um, a human dying. I mean, mm-hmm. it's more painful probably in certain ways, but it's it's just an, a simpler form of mm-hmm. love. 
Yeah. And, and yeah. yeah, there's a part of my nervous system that it still says I need, I depend on you for me to survive, like yeah. to my parents, mm-hmm. because I, I did at one point and I don't anymore, but I don't think my body and our bodies as humans quite know that unless you've gone through some incredibly traumatic events or cord cutting type ceremonies like my body at least still has this signal of like I need you to survive I -hmm. I just know it you know even though I haven't gone through an experience that has proven that like a parent dying Mm -hmm. I can just feel like so much of that is attachment like like a physiological response and an evolutionary yeah evolutionary our brains have been trained to for you know thousands and thousands of years to rely on our parents but not just our parents, to rely on other people Mm. to survive. We wouldn't have been anywhere. We wouldn't have gone anywhere unless we could rely on each other. Mm -hmm. So what do you think happens (laughs) whenever we die? (laughs) I knew this question was going to come back around. What do I think happens when we die? Um, I focus much more on how thinking about the fact that we will die affects the way we live. Mm -hmm. When... So with that said, I occasionally go there and I have come to a place where, like we were talking about in the beginning, I view it as my greatest work to accept that I do not know mm. um, that and not try to intellectualize it or try to figure it out. I mean, I'm very open to talking about past lives and consciousness and, and energy um, and souls and you know, I investigate that, but I, I right now just sit with not knowing and try to get comfortable with that. Mm. I think the most comforting thought for me around not knowing though, is the narrative that death is a transition. Yeah. And that we don't, we don't know where we go, but it's, there's another journey after that. Mm. And forgot what I was reading but someone was describing it as like you're packing up for the next uh, I think it was the Ram Das, the new Ram Das documentary called Becoming Nobody it's beautiful Ooh, but like um, he talks about it death being like you're just getting ready for your next adventure yeah which I find very comforting he also talks about death uh, as um, being like taking off a tight shoe Oh, yeah, I've heard that Yeah, one. so like our body is this like, you know, shoe encapsulating um, all of our energy. Yeah. Right? And and there potentially being a certain freedom that comes mm. from our energy or our soul or whatever it is existing without being so tightly enclosed in this physical yeah. being. So that, that, you know, comforts me. But I'm also equally as open to the idea that nothing happens. Yeah. Um, and that this is just it, and this is the life that we have. Oof. Yeah. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yes. Which oh. means if this is if this it, is it, if this is it, which is a distinct possibility in my opinion, then you know, not in this YOLO like you know, live it up kind of way, but love it up mm-hmm. actually, like love yeah. as deeply and as richly as possible. Do you have anchors? Um, well, you're probably your your career. Like that's your anchor every day to come back to this. Um, what can people do who don't have these discussions every day? Uh, like anything simple that Absolutely. brings you back 
to remembering this because when I like I just know when I'm like done with this podcast and I get back mm-hmm. on this I'm like blah 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 back in the subway get out of my way you know like mentally <laughs> I'm not actually <laughs> well I do that you know, all the time to yeah. be fair so and, like, and that's that's part of being human we have yes. we have this this is fine um you add up enough of that though and you might you might forget so like what are some totally. anchors that people can begin to bring into their life to come back to this yeah love it up reminder? yeah yeah so I think the best way to get to the love it up is the death reminders, right? So there's, um, in the psychological literature that we call it death primes, um, you know, back in, I believe like ancient Greece, they called it memento moris. (laughs) Is that Greek or Latin? I'm not sure. Um, but the idea is that we remind ourselves of death throughout the day. Um, there's a Bhutanese saying that you have to think about death five times a day in order to live fully. Wow. Yeah. Five times. Eh? Five times. Okay. So there's actually an app. Um, what? What? What is it Of course there's again? an app. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, I'm blanking on the name of the app. Death five times a day. Yeah. I'll, Timer? I'll look it up um, maybe before we end. Uh, but it sh- it sends you, I don't think it's a great app. I think it's a great concept. I, yeah, great Bhutanese concept. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does work. I mean, it sends you a, uh, a quote that's related in some way to death and meaning in life five times a day. Um, Why don't you like the app? I just don't think the user experience is great. Oh. <laughs> and well, I don't think the tech. Not super the, user friendly. Yeah. And I don't think the. You don't um, have to work for getting reminded about death you don't yeah. have to work super I think, hard for it and i also beautiful. honestly even me who does this for a living and thinks about this for a living five times a day feels like a lot mm. um i think maybe for a bhutanese monk um it's not too much but i think in the the life that we're living I, there's something about having to look at an alert on my phone five times a day like just anything going on on my phone that frequently i find like a little annoying so I have other options if people are not interested in that. Uh, so, I mean, very simply, the idea of a memento mori object, something that reminds you of death and loss. Maybe it's like a photo of your grandmother, you know, or um, I have a friend that bought me like a little skull that I keep by my bed. Um, a pretty one. I have um, a ring that I'm not currently wearing, but that's also... Um, a, rem- a death reminder for me. So I'd say find some sort of like mm-hmm. precious object or multiple pres- precious objects that have reminded you of loss um, and place them yeah. somewhere. Um, I just got a bone crown. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's made of, it's made of animal bones too. Yeah. Um, it's for, uh, there's a, there's a big party happening Halloween uh, uh-huh. at House of Yes. Yeah, it's called City that. of Gods. Uh-huh. And it's all about like being worshipped. And I needed to find like some sort of headpiece because the whole costume is based off of that. And I found this bone deity mm-hmm. like headpiece and I put it on and it, yes, it reminds me of death. And yes, I feel super, I feel like a super powerful witchy bone queen yeah it's, that's amazing yeah and that that's now like near my altar so that that perfect. can serve as a piece perfect so memento mori object um i also do an exercise with people which i can just briefly describe right yeah. now if you want Please. but um it's one of the most popular death primes in the psychological literature but it's um basically 
taking a sheet of paper and drawing a vertical line, a horizontal line actually. Um, and the beginning of that line symbolizes your birth and the end of that line symbolizes your death. And then once you've done that, just draw a slash mark where you think you are right now. Ooh. Oh my God. <laughs> and then take that and put it on your fridge, keep it in your wallet. Holy shit. Yeah. It's so simple. So and yet, simple. Like, I, I know. Feel, I feel destroyed right now and broken and it's not super yummy and delicious, but that means there's something I need to do. I need to do that. Yeah. Destroyed and, and, and broken. And, yeah. Well, tell me like more about that. Like what? It's just like uh, it, 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 it Maybe those are like bold words, but like no, but that's how you feel. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. Those are the first words that came to because mind. Because life is just so fucking like precious. Yeah, like I'm. I want to cling to it. Like I'm. I'm holding onto her table right now. <laughs> you can't see me, but like I just. I, I. I love life and I love the people in it, and it really is just such a. Um. Like we need to wake up to this. Yeah, like exactly. it's important, and exactly. I'm. I'm really stoked about getting this podcast out. Actually, for so many reasons but anytime I feel like oh in my body it's 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 a breaking open typically mm -hmm. even just realizing something as there's a closing happening shows me that there's work well, to do the around closing that. is the fear right and the clinging yeah so can you take that and and be aware of it and say yeah. I'm gonna choose love I'm mm -hmm. gonna choose to open to this because it is inevitable yeah and I am waking up to it and what am I going to do about it? Yeah. It's it, if we live too much in fear around it, then we're going to push the knowledge of the inevitability deep into our unconscious and it's going to manifest mm. in other ways. That fear will manifest in so many other ways rather than bringing it out into the open, sitting with our fear and again, saying, okay, what am I going to do about it? And what are you? what is one going to do about it? Well, that's when I turn to the Frank Ostaseski quote, did, am I loved and did I love? You know, that's what we have to do about mm -hmm. it. That's what's going to, at the end of our life, make it meaningful. Yeah. You know? Um, and then it, there's a layer of, like, excitement that comes after that. Because mm -hmm. now I'm, like, well, the, m the more I sit into how truthful like even just this exercise is with the slash and that it cannot be changed like unless i die sooner well we right? don't know yeah, we don't know that's the thing but like, like i can't i can't elongate it like i can't like live well a lot of people in, in silicon valley are trying this so is true that's a it's whole true. other story yeah. but you know we, they haven't yet mm -hmm. they haven't yet there's nobody that's been able to avoid well, there's the frozen dead guy in Colorado. What oh, right. The frozen dead guy <laughs> festival. Yeah, he's still frozen. I don't know when they're going to unfreeze that man. That's But so they have to wild. stop the festival probably if he's alive. So maybe they're just holding on to him <laughs> having our festival. Um, but sort of what we're saying, I know I'm like quoting a lot of people. But I like my, it. Yeah, it's good. My anchors are, are these sort of wise people <laughs> that I that I sort of hold on to their yeah. quotes and their wisdom and uh, string them together for myself for some sort of um, narrative that balances known and unknown mm -hmm. right but um, there's a Confucius quote let me just try to get it right but uh, it's the idea that he says um, we live two lives and the second one begins when we realize we only have one Ooh. 
I like that. So the waking up yeah. uh, is that second life, the waking up that we have limited to the fact that we have limited time and what are we going to do with that mm. time? Mm-hmm. You know, the, the known here is that we will die. The unknown is we don't know when. Yeah. It, it makes me want to s- allow myself to just continue to slow down. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. And I think if you act out of fear, you um, speed up. You speed up. Oh, we just made a We made a quote. We're going to have to formulate Uh that a little more. (laughs) But there's a quote. If you act out of fear and you're saying, I have to squeeze it all in. I like have to, you know, like live this life like, ah," you know, it, we pack everything in and then we are far less present and presence is where we access love. Mm. Presence is the gateway to love yeah we cannot truly see ourselves see anyone else really connect unless we slow down enough to be really present I was telling you earlier about um my my teacher John he when we're doing our like yogic tantric um face-to-face um breath to breath exercises one of the things he will go to the men and he'll like whisper in their ears is like look at her while you're saying in your mind um we don't have much longer Mm. so let's love it makes me cry almost every time like he'll say it loud in the room too so like we all hear as well but he'll say look at each other and say we don't have much time my love so let's love fully like, look at me. I love you. We don't have much time. We're only here. For and, and his daughter um, just passed last year, oh. Claire Wineland. And she had this, um, they had known for a long time that her life was going to be not very long. Mm-hmm. And so her whole life, they primed her f- for death, basically. They had the, the Claire Wineland Foundation um, and she had the you know she had to be walking around with tools to help her breathe Mm -hmm. uh, at times did she have cystic fibrosis yes Mm -hmm. yes and so I believe yes I don't I'm like pretty positive that's what it is but I might have to double check on it but um it's huge foundation now and it's helping to find resources for others that are going through that but um she had passed last year and it they had made art out of knowing she was going to die like her whole life like they would play piano singing about things or make fun of it like mm-hmm. just joke about the afterlife like really making art out of that pain point yeah and ever since that happened he's brought in the message of death more in his teachings and it's taken his work to uh, even a new level of of depth I, I have felt the difference last year because I was one of his students last year before she passed mm-hmm. and now and when he's bringing in that, I feel more open and available to love every mm. time he says those Amazing. things. Yeah, it's, it's it, so moving. It's been, it's been really um, opening and um, just. It, I also want to use the word. It doesn't feel quite right, but almost an honor, like an honor to watch his process Mm -hmm. of how he's been dealing with grief all this time. I feel fortunate to have such a close interaction with him, watching him go through this and um, turning to the ocean to 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 release his grief. And he has like a practice where he will do child's pose and and grief, uh, grieve 
and put it into the earth Mm -hmm. go out into the woods and do child pose and just give his grief to the earth and then show up and teach and teach about love and intimacy through the reality of death yeah that he is very it's very real in his life right now and his altar with his daughter's picture on it yeah I just I could go on forever just like watching that process for him it's Um, inspiring it's it is yeah it's inspiring and he's um there's another Buddhist <laughs> parable just about a glass of water and putting, if you put three cups of, or three teaspoons of salt into the glass of water, it's very salty. If you pour it into a big pond, it's imperceptible, the difference, right? And it sounds like, you know, instead of holding all the grief in this tight space of mm. our body he's giving it to the mm-hmm. ocean he's giving it to the yeah. earth and it becomes so diffuse uh that it's not that it's imperceptible probably for him but it's he's allowing a wider container to hold mm. his grief rather mm. than keeping it yeah. all which tight. so many people try to do yeah and that's just feeding into the more more of the fear yeah. yeah you know i am wondering you said that this is very personal for you have you lost somebody that you want to talk about or oh you're so sweet <laughs> no i haven't no uh-uh. um it's just uh, something you think about a lot yeah and i it for me it comes from childhood it comes from religion mm-hmm. it comes from fear around death via religion mm-hmm. like that's all plain as day to me yeah um there was just so much emphasis on uh the rapture and then also heaven and hell like mm-hmm. every day I, I heard about hell you know, every day I heard about heaven. And so it took me till I was 22 to say, wait a minute. I don't know. Like I'm actually in a, I can choose for myself if I believe it. So then I had to go through the process of actually realizing like I'm not bound to, I didn't realize I wasn't. Yeah. I didn't really realize there were other options Options. until I traveled. So everyone go travel, like go (laughs) go travel, go see other things. Uh And then when I traveled, I came back and I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they be- they are this. They're just as devoted to their religion over there as you are yours. Like, exactly. and they're devoted to not having religion in the same way you're devoted to having one. Like, oh, other possibilities. Yeah. And so now it's, I'm, I make it. I'm a very enthusiastic person, so I probably make it sound like it's more of a thing in my life than it actually is, and it is still something that's like, I think about often. Yeah. And and this year has been more of a layer of fascination with it. Mm-hmm. And ex- it, I read a book called On Life After Death. Mm. And that book, tiny little book, changed my life. I should it, read that. It, oh, yeah. It, and that's more around what happens after. Yeah, that's based stuff. off of studies of people who have had... Um, Near-death experiences. Yes. NDEs. NDEs. Mm-hmm. And that's really... Like, that fascinating. So fascinating. fascinating. So interesting. And then um, I watched the OA. Oh, the OA And then I was like, so oh, good. what's going to happen? Like, this, the yep. OA is yeah. everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hear you. And I, I you know, <laughs> I think that I, you know, I personally, I've experienced death and loss, not of a close family member or a close friend. So I get, I get that question mm. a lot. Like, are you into this or into researching this because of that? But I, I think that, um, I feel like I'm more tuned and maybe you are as well to the little deaths that we're experiencing mm-hmm. every day, all mm. the time. I um, appreciate you saying that because I, I agree. 
and just being very cognizant of transitions and of endings and that on some level triggering thoughts of the big ending. I think you're right, actually. Mm -hmm. Maybe that because even yesterday I was in a yoga class. Like I think about it every day in the little ways. I was in this yoga class and I was thinking, oh, this is the only time this group of 20 people at Equal Knox will Uh ever be together. (laughs) Uh And then I left and then like I get on the subway and I'm like, wow, we are all sharing the same experience in this moment and we're permanently etched into each other's lives here on the subway at 3.18 p.m. in Brooklyn. And then I get off and like I think about that and the flowers Mm -hmm. and like uh, having certain teachers in my life or students and endings in that way all the time. And it's it's a strange thing. Like I think maybe also because we've been talking about it for maybe 40, 45 minutes. I don't know. Like as you're saying this, I'm just like, it's all so beautiful. I know. Right? It's all so beautiful. So tender. And and I'm I'm not saying it like I don't have moments of tremendous fear around death and okay. loss I, yeah. I was wondering I, if you did oh I I'm like man this girl like do. death I know. proof <laughs> no way I mean in dissert when people write their dissertation for mm. clinical psychology instead of calling it research they call it me search mm. <laughs> so everybody's always researching the thing that they're oh, struggling with the most yeah because um, why do you want to spend two to three years working on something that's not going to deeply affect you mm-hmm. or change you and I think that that I, I'm somebody that needs a lot of control, needs to know what's happening, needs to plan. Um, and this is the one thing that I was like, no matter what I can do, I can't really plan for it. I, I'm not in control of this. Yeah. And the thought of losing somebody I love specifically, I mean, any friend that I love, any f- family member, but specifically like the love of my life mm-hmm. um, was so terrifying to yeah. me so terrifying to me that I was like I have to do this work I have to do this work now because it's gonna happen yeah (laughs) if you know it's it's inevitable we teach what we what it is that we want to understand what we struggle with what we need to know yeah exactly I have a friend uh named Elian so I've done a few Vipassana 10-day silent retreats and um I had a vision in one of my second Vipassana where I was dying and my friend Elian came up to me and was like, oh, babe, like you got this. You're like the most prepared out of anyone. <laughs> You've been working on this for like many, many years. Like you got it. I love it. <laughs> um, with that said, I still feel like mm-hmm. I have so much work to do and so many reminders for myself. So like, you know, there's a Memento Mori, there's that app, which I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of, um, you know, there's that death prime exercise I think tantra and using sex as a way to open to death is also um a really beautiful vehicle Mm -hmm. um you know I believe in tantra you might know more than I do but um I've read really that the orgasm and the complete surrender of letting go an orgasm Mm -hmm. is can be used as a practice for the surrender involved in death Mm -hmm. um and you and also like um, I do uh, Wim Hof breath work mm. and whenever we do like thirty rounds of <sighs> and then after thirty of that <sighs> one long exhale and then you hold it at the bottom unbearably long right. and in those moments of being completely empty that's when I feel death all around me mm-hmm. and when I'm teaching and I will say that as well 
like you know f- feel everything that's dying right now yeah and and that's another thing that John had had taught me to do and that's been really powerful for me to have that that's an anchor of doing the breath work and every exhale that we hold feeling everything that's dead yeah like and 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 to me it's it's a it all it's always felt beautiful every time I've done that combined with breath and I felt everything dead around and I practice dying that's how he will always say it practice yes. dying yes doing that for two years and like holding your breath and like your body thinks it's about to die it's you're not yeah. getting any air we're very close to death yeah a lot of like if you hold your breath for a few minutes oh that's, it's that's right it. there you know it's right there it's right, right there. there that edge is right there yeah um it's crazy how often we see death too like in movies but yet and like when i watch death in movies i'm like you know like I watch like horror movies or war movies mm-hmm. or just action movies and all these people are dying left and right, left and right, yeah. left and right, left and right. Don't think anything about it really. And that kind of scares me sometimes. Yeah. I'm like, that's death happening in front of my eyes. Look at that. Like, don't get desensitized. Yeah. I mean, it's called having a uh, healthy defense mechanisms mm-hmm. uh, because on, you know, on one hand, uh, we don't want to be thinking about death every second of every day, yeah. right? Uh, we need our attention to be attuned elsewhere. Mm-hmm. To, yeah. to like we got to do some stuff. We got to do some stuff. Yeah, get out of bed. I mean, you yeah. could, you know, become a monk, a Bhutanese monk, you know, but we, we have stuff to do. Yeah. I just think we don't think about it enough. But if you think about it in terms of how often it is in TV and movies, I mean, like, there's, like, no really good TV or movie that doesn't, involve death and dying mm-hmm. or someone dying or some reference to death and dying right like it's compelling yeah the brevity of our experience is compelling yeah the, most of the movies that i think are the best have to do with love and death yeah because they're two core fundamental human yeah, experiences. Yeah, just Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. Like, why is that so successful? Right. Why was that so impactful? Right. Is because it's tragic and it's beautiful from being so tragic. Exactly. Like, star-crossed lovers. It's tragic and so beautiful because of that. Because it ends. Because it ends, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so this has been a – this is so good. And I don't want to end it quite yet. Uh-huh. We're, 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 I know we're getting there. But I also wanted to ask you um, about that article that you wrote. Oh, yes. I have to. I have to ask. I want to hear <laughs> Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so I just came out with an article yesterday for um, Doré. Uh, it's sort of like a goop-like situation. Um, situation. Situation. <laughs> um, and it's, I called it dating. We're doing it wrong. Um and in it, I basically say, again, it's a lot about this control and surrender dynamic, which is related to life and death. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like online dating sites have encouraged us to gamify love, to strategize, to uh, put pressure on ourselves to feel like if we don't do, if we're not going on you know, two to three dates a week if we're not mm-hmm. swiping while we're in the bathroom, if we're not sliding into people's DMs, um, then we're not going to find it and that it's really up to us to search. And what I've found in my practice and amongst a bunch of my friends as well and 
myself included um, until I started to work through some of this is that the harder we try, uh, almost the less likely we are to find it. And I think that's in part because trying is sort of inherently a cerebral process um, and strategizing is cerebral and think and uh, we get very involved um, in finding love with our minds rather than our hearts. Mm. Um, I use sort of like two metaphors to explain it. One is um, like if you are going to sneeze and you say, I'm going to sneeze, and then that stops the sneeze in its tracks a lot of the time, not always, yeah. but it can be the same if you're falling asleep and you're like, am I falling asleep? <laughs> then you don't fall asleep. Like I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> am I falling asleep? I definitely do that because I, I have some trouble falling asleep. So I'm like, is oh, it so you get really, That's what I do with orgasms. Yes. So it's the same with Am orgasm. I about to orgasm? Yes. No, no, no. Exactly. <laughs> Maybe no? Yeah. Ooh, right, concentrate. Right. And a sneeze and no. orgasm are actually yeah. very similar, but they're both sort of um, <laughs> sneeze, orgasm, falling asleep. These are all like natural. Yeah. Uh, embodied processes mm -hmm. um, and when we get too in our head about it we uh, stop we leave the body yeah. and then we can't actually feel it can't actually unfold and yeah so I think that's happening all the time another analogy I use is that it's almost like we have a pea on our plate and we're trying to pick it up with a fork and we keep Ugh. sort of jabbing at yeah. it. And um, a cherry tomato. Right. Rather than using a spoon or using some alternative means to pick it up, going about it indirectly. So is the jab, approach. is that the dating app? Yeah. Whereas going about it differently could be like walking up to someone in a bookstore, just saying hi. Like that or, that you know, even that sometimes I think can put some pressure I mean, it depends on your intentionality. Online dating can be done with a different intention, you know, with the intention of like, I just surrender to meeting this person. I don't have any expectations. I'm just going to show up and yeah. connect and be open and be in my body. So I'm not saying online dating is bad or wrong. Um, I'm just saying that we have a tendency to do it with this intention of like, well, I have an hour to see this person. I'll, f I'll fit them in right then and there because if I don't meet them now, then I'm probably never going to meet them because they'll swipe on somebody else, you know. Uh, Especially so, in New York. Yeah. And so if I go yeah. on two dates this week, then I can check off my list that I've worked hard to find somebody um, even if they don't go that well, yeah. you know, but at least then I feel like I'm putting myself out there. Mm. It's like that mentality that is not conducive to allowing yourself to feel anything. So for me, I mean, I just like, I probably went on like two dates a week for like three years. <laughs> I think I did too. And it was miserable, miserable. Mm. I would just come home being like, why don't I feel anything? And what's wrong with me? And I'm being too picky, but like. It's like martyrdom. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. But I've got to do it anyway. Yeah, so let's pull I have the app to back do out it. Yeah. For the name of love. Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, so draining and our energy is so precious and where we yeah. put our time you know it, makes, about it time. made me resent it made me resent because oh i gotta tell another person what it is i do yeah oh like my what God. i like i'm so rote um yeah. it's like a script um i had a patient describe it as like i like go through my like hall of fame moments you know it's like these are the bullet points that you like it's it becomes like an interview mm -hmm. we're treating love like a job um and I think it takes an entirely different skill set to fall in love 
And by skill set, I mean like no skills. It's a natural process, just like doesn't no no skills or no skills. Uh, mm. Meaning like it's Two different there's no oh like <laughs> like no skills like oh, in zero. that in zero that skills. we need to leave our mind and just be in our body. So the gotcha. only skill yeah. is the skill of surrender. The only thing in our ability, the only thing really that we can control is our ability to surrender. And it's per it's that's perfect for this podcast because my primary like teaching that comes up time and time again is the feminine masculine and the feminine mm-hmm. is really about like receiving receiving and revealing yeah like I have started to my my how I approach online dating now is so different than yeah. how it was a year ago even when I first moved to New York I, I see probably I'll meet probably one person a month yeah and when I look through photos there there's a piece that could sound interviewee but it's 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 not I I really see in like people's photos do I feel they're present in the photo like do I feel their heart in the photo Mm -hmm. I've made it part of my sacred practice and then when I get go to dates I actually use it as an opportunity to play full out in my feminine revealing Mm -hmm. like it's actually a practice time for me in the same thing that I do when I go to polarity events of like working with my feminine energy and like like making sounds mm-hmm. or like demonstrating if I don't like something oh like showing different versions of me mm-hmm. I've now been like oh great a date is a is a way I can work on that so like bringing it on they they have no expectation of who I am yeah so I've I've found a way to make any and all first dates be a way I'm actually working on my craft Beautiful. or as my like it's a pr- it's a personal growth playground for being the woman I am mm-hmm. and it's made it much more enjoyable and, and like not not squeezing in a bunch and like just one a month like with from these things totally is doable yeah totally. and I think people have different capacities I think like you know some people can go on three a week and remain very present and embodied and playful and not be so narrowly focused on like finding a husband or finding a wife you know whatever it is um but for me I realized that actually for a period of time I couldn't go on any (laughs) I needed to not go on any I I went through like a real uh, I went on a real hiatus that was Mm -hmm. so important because I felt so routinized um in dating but I I think the you know using dates as a way to explore yourself is is that spoon I'm talking about it's it's going about finding love indirectly so that your focus isn't on is this person the right person you know it's similarly to having sex and orgasm like your focus can be on like touching your partner what it feels like when they touch you but if you're narrowly focused on having an orgasm it's much less likely Mm -hmm. to happen Mm -hmm. right um so I think that's beautiful. I think focusing on yourself, I think focusing on, you know, like what can I learn from this connection? How does it overlap with other areas of your life? Like mm-hmm. how can you make this this date, like how can you can you decide beforehand to bring your queen mm-hmm. and see what it's like to to arrive on this date as a queen? Yes. My I, I hung out with someone last night and my friend beforehand was like, I wanna see you as I wanna see you see yourself as treasured one. Mm. She was like, bring, whoever you're seeing tonight, bring the energy of treasured one with a hint of seduction. So oh, throughout I the whole that. night, I was I was just looking at this person through the eyes of, I'm a treasure. Mm-hmm. I'm a treasure and I'm going to seduce you. Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's archetypes, it's my favorite thing. Like bring your, your whatever archetype you're playing with to a date. 
see what happens like when you show up as you know a sacred slut i don't know whatever you want i it's, love it's it. a it's a it's a great way i think to make these super enjoyable and 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 release expectation because you're working on yourself at the same time totally so how did you how did you meet your your partner um love to know great question uh so instead of dating i decided that so before we even get there quickly one other thing you can do when dating i think and i, th- I did this when i met my partner is being open to the full spectrum of what a connection with someone mm. could be. So instead of being like, will you be my life partner? Are you well, my soulmate? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. could you be like my next best friend? Mm. <laughs> could you be, um, you know, a really great contact for work that I never expected? You know, could you be somebody that I set up with my best friend? Because I don't think you're right for me, but I think you could be right for her. Can you view every connection as meaningful and be open to any possibility Mm. rather than saying like, I am meeting you with this very distinct purpose Um, because I think that shuts us down and it keeps us from seeing how any connection can morph and change. Um, But yeah, I mean, essentially I decided that instead of dating, I was going to follow um, whatever I wanted to do <laughs> um, and assume that the people that were around me at the events that I was going to or the parties I was going to were like-minded enough that um, I would run into somebody, mm-hmm. but that I was going to keep it very sort of like me-focused. So if I wanted to, um, like, I, and I stopped going to things because I was like, maybe I'll meet someone there. It was more like, I know I really want to go to this event. So I'm going to go because it's going to be meaningful to me no matter what. If I meet someone or if I don't, it will be meaningful to me because I know this is what I want. And if you keep doing things that you want and that you genuinely desire rather than what you should do, Mm -hmm. think you should do, then you'll eventually, I think, like your energy will align with somebody that's also there because that's what they want, right? That's exactly where I've been. Yeah. Like you are describing to a T what I realized a couple months ago. Great. Yeah. Um, so I read a book, I actually listened to it called, uh, let's talk about death over dinner. Um, of course, of course, <laughs> which is a brilliant book by Michael Hebb, um, who is my boyfriend now. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I listened to his book and what? Yeah. Stop. And oh so God. I listened to him for like six hours and I believe it's 40 minutes and it's in his voice. And I thought it was brilliant. I was actually already using his work and presentations I was giving about, um, you know, talking about how you bring death into life. He has a um, sort of a, a way of creating a dinner where you bring up death and mortality in a way that's very safe and loving and has to do with human connection. Mm. So, um just a plug for death over dinner.org. You can create your own wow. dinner. Um, and Is it like, it's like a group dinner? A group dinner. Yeah. I think ideally it's around eight people. So, which we can definitely talk more about. But um, so I read his book or listened to it, listened to him, was really moved by it, decided to go to his book event, um, saw him speak, uh, very compelling speaker. But he 
he's 43 i'm 32 he has two kids he lives in seattle um so i didn't it didn't really i i likely crossed my mind romantically because i found him attractive but i sort of put him in a i was i sort of was like well this will be great for work to connect with this person it wasn't like you're i'm looking for love and you're the guy um, so I went up to him afterwards and I said that I study love and death and I thought that maybe we could collaborate. Um, and we ended up meeting for coffee the next day and we decided to do a love and death retreat together. And from there, I ended up flying to Seattle to plan the retreat with him. And about... 24 hours into that experience and like really talking about death really we spent like 24 hours talking about death and loss and what's most important in life i believe we fell in love <laughs> so i have goosebumps over my whole body <laughs> that's just like it's you like are sometimes it's a little like really jordana but like you're I, the embodiment of what you believe like you actually you're you're the embodiment of it. Your relationship was formed out of your like core values. Like yeah. the whole story is is a physical manifestation or I guess a no, it's, emotional it's, manifestation. It's true. And on one hand it's like, oh come on. And on the other hand, it makes perfect sense yeah. to me. Yeah. On the other hand, it's like, of course, mm. you know, in talking about love and loss and really surrendering to that in mm. the presence of him. Um I was able to feel for the first time actually in years. Mm. Um, and, and again, it's the same thing with the dating. It, 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 you know, I didn't say like, I'm going to love you, you know, yeah. or like, will this happen? Like, will I love you? It's more just like, I'm open to whatever comes. Um, and I would have been the first person you know, a few years ago to be like a long distance relationship, like absolutely not somebody that's like much older, like, and I mean, it's not that much older, but I, I like had an idea of what I was looking for and he is not what that was. And because of that, he is so much more. Mm. So he's actually coming, flying in from Seattle today. You know, oh. we, we make it work. It's not easy, but we do have a lot in common at yeah. least in terms of these core values how long has it been that y'all been together almost a year hmm. yeah yeah mm. and i'm so glad i asked that question yeah <laughs> thank you for asking we're doing um a big love and death event in seattle mm. in april oh. um we're also speaking at summit together do you know summit yeah yeah we're speaking at summit in november oh wow so next month um so we have a few things coming yeah. up and what a power couple thanks major <laughs> power couple that's beautiful thank you thank you for mm. uh, indulging me and letting yeah. me share yeah I, l I loved it that was that was one of the highlights for me is hearing this but you know I think that a lot of the dissertation work is really going to come into play for us in a very real way as we move it's still it's been less than a year so we're still in this like, oh, you know, yeah, uh, this phase of loving that I know is going to inevitably shift. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take being very conscious about the fact that we could lose each other at any time, I think, to maintain that kind of love mm -hmm. and passion.
Beautiful. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, it's so amazing. Okay, so I think that's a great place to um, transition uh-huh. into the divine deep dive round. I've got some questions oh, for you. Okay. Before I do that, where can people connect with you in the online space? Great. Um, you can find me on my website, uh, jordanajacobsphd.com. Um, or on Instagram is probably great. Uh, doctor, so D-R, Jordana mm. Jacobs. Yes. At Dr. Jordana Jacobs. Yeah. Okay, beautiful. I will have those links in the show notes to this. Thank you. And quick fire round slash divine deep dive round. What is one book on death and love that we all must read? Oh, God. One book. Besides the book by Michael Hebb. Uh-huh. Because we all have to get Michael Hebb's book. Exactly. Um, I, so my other favorite book um, is on death is The Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski. Mm. I think it's incredible. Really incredible. Mm. And I actually urge you to listen to it because mm. his voice is beautiful. I do a lot of audiobooks. I Same. like hearing... A, I think it's easier to digest for me at this point in my life because um, I can listen on the subway more easily and when walking around in the city. But Frank Ostaseski's voice is like butter. Yeah. And I think there is something about the human connection that you feel uh, even with somebody in your ear versus reading that makes you feel safer diving into some of these mm. harder topics. I like that perspective. But he talks yeah. about it in such a beautiful way talks about death and um love and human connection okay five invitations yeah what's your favorite indulgence at the moment any indulgence yes oh my god so if you look over there there's a projector screen i saw that (laughs) yeah um so i love good tv i really do so tv is a big indulgence of mine and getting this projector and having um TV that I can watch with other people, not just sort of like on my computer. But, you know, I I, I think sometimes it can sound like, yeah, like I think about death all the time or love all the time. It's like, no, I need to chill and like watch. Right now I'm watching The Politician, which is really good on Netflix. I've never seen that. Fantastic. Highly recommend it. I think the deeper you go into like these kinds of topics, these very real life uh, emotional topics, the deeper you need to go in entertainment. <laughs> totally. I, I need real breaks. Mm. Um, and fortunately, so does Michael. So we watch a lot of TV together. Aww. So we like talk about death and love and like get really intense. And then we're like, we're going to watch like four hours of television. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been watching, um, right now I'm watching two things. I'm finishing Shameless, the mm-hmm, most recent season mm-hmm. of Shameless. And then I'm watching the... I don't think it's the current season of American Horror Story, but the one before that. Oh, yeah. Very yeah, opposite yeah. shows. Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. American Horror Story is like... Good TV. I, I haven't watched it because I'm scared of scary things. I had to stop um, one of... Th- I, I think I've stopped several of the seasons. It's one of the most disturbing shows yeah. I've ever seen. Oh, it, God. And, and I keep getting pulled in because I love the characters in it. Mm-hmm. And it's a new it's a new premise in every single season completely new story but same people but but they're different characters in the in the show very cool yeah and and i love all the actors they're so quirky and weird all the actors anyways yeah i love that you love tv and i love that you have a projector yeah who is one of your most profound mentors Mm. a teacher who has it could be a professor or a family member it's anyone important in your 
Um, I think I would say my grandpa who passed mm. away. Oh my gosh, I think almost exactly a year ago. Um, he was 106. Wow. Very good uh, lifespan. Mm. <laughs> but, I, and I think also, you know, I, I don't talk about him as much as I do. Um, he's on my father's side. My grandparents on my mother's side were the Holocaust survivors. Oh, okay. So I don't talk about him as much as an influence on the way I think about death and dying. But he is a huge influence. Mm. And he just passed so gracefully. And he, my grandmother's actually still alive. She's 101. Wow. Um, Good genes. She's sort of, uh, she has dementia. So she's very hard to connect with. But he basically was like, I just need to stay alive because I love Marsha, his wife, and I have to take care of her. And he's one of the most selfless, good men I've ever known. Mm. Wow. You have a very inspirational family. (laughs) A lot of love. A lot of love, yeah. Yeah, I feel really lucky. Yeah. Are you going to have kids, do you know? I hope so. Yeah, your children, they're going to be like from a different <laughs> they're gonna be so intuitive i like mean what you're not seeing i i love that that you're thinking that but i mean and i was gonna say like yeah there's a lot of love in my family but there, i mean my mom's a psychologist my dad's a psychiatrist we're all like neurotic jews you know well, the reason i'm researching neurotic death jews. in part yeah. is because i need to help myself cope with my right. um the intensity of my like obsessionality mm. and the intensity of my desire for perfection and like um and yeah and uh, my desire for control i i have often thought like oh god my poor children <laughs> Yeah, I think we're, we're probably very similar because I have this, I had perfectionism, OCD, the yeah, eating disorders, yeah, yeah. eating for control. And that's why I turned turn to work around the feminine is because I was, I was like going to die, like killing stuff. myself from mm-hmm. being like, I needed to learn how to be present and I needed to learn how to open and how to exactly. reveal or I was going to eat myself up. Yeah. And so, yeah, but I still stand by what I said. Even you. with like the neurotic Jewish nature, <laughs> yeah, they're going to yeah. be like intuitive oh, and that's so sweet love will be say. important to them. What is the best investment under ten thousand? You've you've um, best investment under ten thousand dollars in the past year that you've made, mm. contributing to your life. Um, I paid for a ten. This is cheap. Can I say two? Yeah. Okay, I paid for a ten dollar um, s- student alumni ID uh, for LIU down the street, which is where I went to graduate school so that I could use their Olympic-sized pool to swim. Um, I think swimming is a very Mm. meditative Mm -hmm. way to work out. Um, I don't even really do it to work out. Sometimes I swim very slowly, but it is one of the ways that I can become um, as present as quickly um, that I know of. Mm -hmm. And then I think the second thing is, is renting an apartment that feel the space feels just like we yeah. talked about in the beginning like more like a sanctuary and a place where I can also be present I think all I'm trying to do is be present be less in my mind and more in my body and more yeah. where I am mm. Mm, okay I'll pick two more what's your favorite restaurant in New York City <laughs> um I love this restaurant in Williamsburg so you should go uh, called Suzumi. 
Do you know it? Sumi, no. Oh, my God. It's just delicious. It was three blocks from my old apartment. Um, How do you spell that? S-U-Z-U-M-E. Okay. And um, it's just a very cute Japanese spot that I used to order from while I was on the L train and pick it up on my way home. They have very delicious wings, really good... um, ramen i'm gluten-free but Mm. they would make it with rice for me uh so i love the people there um Mm. and i miss it i like and it's you know now like 30 minutes from my apartment what stop was it off on the Lorimer stop oh okay great very close to me yeah you should definitely go go. yeah i love it okay last question is if you were going to have a dinner party with three people anybody dead or alive any three people, mm. who would they be? <sighs> I would choose. The Dalai Lama. <laughs> it's sort of like a cliche answer, mm. but I studied abroad in northern India and Tibet. I mean, not Tibet, northern India and Bhutan, but mm-hmm. I studied Tibetan and Himalayan culture. And I met the Dalai Lama for like 30 seconds. Wow. And I just, being in the presence of somebody that has worked all their life to be present um, and spread that presence to have more time with him would be amazing. Um, My grandpa. Yeah. I'd bring him back, have dinner with him. Um, And then probably my friend Kate, who I would just call and tell about the experience anyway, so she may as well be there. (laughs) (laughs) What an honor to be invited to that dinner party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she's pretty special. Yeah, she's the reason I live in Fort Greene. She lives like three blocks away. She was like, you should move here. And I was like, you're totally right. I love it. I love those kind of friendships. Definitely. (sighs) Thank you, Jordana. Thank for you. being on the podcast today and yeah, all of your yeah. insight Thank you for and wisdom. having me. Yeah, this is this Such is amazing. A pleasure. I I just I have a very um, I intuit that many people will be following you from this and oh. reaching out because this is needed in the world. People are very welcome to reach out. And we'll see you guys next week. <laughs> Thank you.